Heavenly Father, I just come to you now, Lord. I just ask that you would just empty this vessel of self. And Lord, that I would enter your throne room with your righteousness and your mercy and your grace. And I pray, Lord, for your people that they were, their hearts would just receive the goodness that you have. And Father, we welcome those that are new here. We ask that uh, you would minister to them and you would draw them back. And just like you spoke to David in Psalm 61, Lord, we ask that our hearts are overwhelmed with everything that's going on. And we just ask that you would take this time, make it your own, and speak to each one of us. Be with Pastor Bill. Help him to get things done. And Lord, we thank you for him and his family. And we pray that you bless them. And bless those that are here this morning, Lord. And those that are actually online. We just thank you for all that you're doing. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can turn with me to Psalm 61. It's not a long psalm. There's only eight verses. But it starts off with this. To the chief musician, on a string instrument, a psalm of David. Hear my cry, O God, and attend to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings, Silash. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life as years, as many generations. He shall abide before you, before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. Now, King David says in this psalm, and he wrote it, his heart was overwhelmed. And with everything that's going on in the world this morning, or even yesterday or before, I'm sure that our hearts are overwhelmed, wondering exactly what's going to happen with Israel, what's going to go on with this nation, and as us as Christians, how are we supposed to conduct ourselves when it comes to that? So I want you to listen very carefully to exactly what David is doing. It never says in the psalm what he's overwhelmed about. Okay? When the Lord gave me this, it was two weeks ago. <laughs> and when I read it, it really pierced my heart to understand that God was talking to David in a sense, or David talking to God saying, my heart is overwhelmed because of who you are. 
If we look at it in that manner, we're going to see the heart of this king has been known to be a man after God's heart. And we, as men and women, are children of God, and we should be able to do the same. This is a psalmist titled To the Chief Musician on a String Instrument, a Psalm of David. David was often in trouble. We don't know the life circumstances which prompt this psalm. It does seem to come after he came to the throne. Because of the reference to the end of the earth, some have thought it comes from the time of Absalom's rebellion or on his military campaign near the Euphrates. That's in Psalm, Second Samuel 8, 3-4. Those are possible, but by no means certain settings for this psalm. On a string instrument, the word Igaya, or singular Nigoth, may be understood to be synonymous with the kinor, or a heart. And that is to say, the instrument of eight strings probably played with a bow or a pretrum. The prayer. Crying out for rescue when overwhelmed. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. This was wise praying for David. He understood that though God hears all prayer in one sense, and in the sense of answering and responding favorably, God does not hear or attend to all prayer. That shouldn't shock anyone, <laughs> especially the men. If you get in an argument with your wife, don't expect God to answer your prayer. It's not going to happen. I know that. <laughs> okay. Opening this prayer in this way, David did not presume a response from God, but actively asked for the response. The Pharisees may rest in their prayers. True believers are eager for an answer to them. Really, this may be satisfied when they have said, said or sung their lentis or collects. But living children of God will never rest till their supplications have entered the ears of the Lord God of Sabbath. To be able to actually come before God, you need to be able to understand who you're talking to, who he is, and who he is to you. When you can come to him quietly in that manner, you're going to realize that you're almost like David coming up to him and saying, you know me. You know everything about me. There's nothing I can hide from you. And this king is crying out to God in that manner, knowing who his God is. 
Not looking at the circumstances he's going through. And he'd gone through a lot. But yet, he was still excited enough to come to God in prayer. And just humble himself before his Lord and King. And make requests. And the supplication is one that he brings up. And he's waiting because David knows what God has done for him. As a shepherd boy, he raised him up to be a king. He put him in Saul's palace to be able to sing songs that would keep whatever demon was in Saul from raising up. And all that time, Saul's trying to kill him. And then as he joins the army, you know, it's something else. He kills a giant as a young man. The whole army of Israel is there, and they're just shaking in their boots. But here comes a young shepherd boy asking his brothers, hey, what's going on? (laughs) And his brothers looked at him and said, what are you doing here? Why aren't you taking care of the sheep? But then he goes up before Goliath and he says, you come to me with a spear and a shield. He said, I come to you in the name of God, my God. And you're defiling the armies of my God. Okay, it's a paraphrase. But he's a young man. And the thing to understand about David, his heart never changed. His love for God was just as strong as when he first started. And this psalm, he's crying out to God because he's saying, my heart is overwhelmed. And when I read it, I said, I wonder what he's talking about. Is he talking about everything he's gone through? And the Lord says, no. He's talking about me. How overwhelmed he is of who I am to him. And in today's time, we need to hear a message just like that. Because we are going to be overwhelmed. We are still asking, when is the Lord coming back? Times are getting short, but when is he coming back? The only one that knows is God the Father. And that can overwhelm us to a point where we lose focus about who Jesus is and what he's supposed to do. We are just his creation, and we are to honor him and worship him and come before him and understand how much he loves you and cares for you. And yet, we find ourselves at times, including myself, I'm not excluded, wondering when. When is this going to happen, Lord? When are you going to take us up? And you get excited and say, oh, yes, we're going to go. 
But then the Lord points to me and he says, Rudy, he says, it's great that you want to be with me. But what about the ones that don't know me? What about them? Don't you care about them? <laughs> and then I have to sit back and I say, well, Lord, I do. But how do I reach them? What do I do? What do I sing? And this is where David is. He's just overwhelmed as to how good God is to him. And it brings you to a point where you just want to sit still and let God speak to you. The opening, opening is prayer in this way. God does, uh, David did not presume a response from God, but actively asked. Okay. At the ends of the earth, I will cry to you. From what we know, David did not travel outside the promised land. Yet figuratively, he was at the end of human understanding and strength and resources. Did you ever feel like that? <laughs> Isn't, you look at yourself and you say, what is going on? You know? There was a real and powerful sense in which this prayer offered from the ends of the earth. He felt like, where is God? <laughs> where are you? You know? And though the phrase from the ends of the earth may denote a geographic distance away from the land, it's like in Psalms 46.9 and Deuteronomy 28.49, it is also a metaphor for despair, alienation, and spiritual distance from God. Those things come. And you know that because you've gone through it. I have. And I say, what are, Lord, you say you love me. You'll never leave me or forsake me. Where are you? <laughs> and then I hear a voice that says, Rudy, you moved. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, <laughs> give me back. You know? Help me to be where I'm supposed to be. And though, it says, David did not say from the ends of the earth, I will give up hope. Or from the ends of the earth, I will deny you, deny that you love me. At the limits of his wisdom, endurance, and ability, David said, I will cry to you. I've been there where I had no answers for some of the things that I went through. And I cried out to God. It happened in 1981 when I first gave my life to Christ. They asked me to do a particular job, and I was still in the military. I was a recruiter in the United States Navy in El Centro, California. And my job was to bring people in to the Navy, knowing that the only thing I could promise them, you're going to see. <laughs> 
you're going to go in a vessel. You're going to go out in the ocean. That's the only thing I can guarantee him. I couldn't guarantee him anything else. And my numbers were not coming up. I did my best. I had one recruit or client. If I would have just gotten him into the nuclear program, that would have set me for the rest of my career. But the God that I know of now didn't allow it. I sent him to get inducted, get his physical, and he met up with a friend that went to the same school he was going to go to, guaranteed that if he re-enlisted, every time he re-enlisted, he'd get $35,000 every time. And I told this young man, I said, you know what? You want to help your grandma? This is the time to do it. This is the way you could do it. And he signed up, right? When I sent him over, he gets on the bus with his friend. His friend talks him out of going to school. He never went in. <laughs> and there I am, having to explain to my rank, which was a senior chief, what happened. So they looked at my numbers and they decided they couldn't use me. So they sent me to mass in front of the commanding officer. That all happened right after I gave my life to Christ. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I say, oh, what am I going to do now? I got to go home and tell my wife I'm going to mass. And you know what the person, Minda, responds was what I needed to hear. And it fit right into what God was telling me. Don't you worry, I'm going to take care of you. Her response to me was, it's okay, whatever happens, I'm right beside you. And that helped me to be able to say, okay. So I went through all that. I did get demoted. But in time, God promoted me. And I ended up retiring as a senior chief in the United States Navy. That's my God. That's not me. But I know how he does things. I'm starting to learn that he loves me so much, he'll give me, get me through whatever I'm going to go through. I know he's right there beside me. And this is what I hear of David here. <laughs> he's overwhelmed. He said, wow, this is the God that I have. You know, he's going to get me through this no matter what. Let's see where I'm at. It's observed that David never dreamed of seeking any other God. He did not Im imagine the dominion of Jehovah to be local. He was at the end of the promised land, but he knew himself to be still in the territory 
of the great king. Say, we're not up far away from God. <laughs> He's right around. He's right there. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. David knew there would be times when, I, when his heart was overwhelmed. In those moments, he needed at least three things, which I believe that every Christian needs. We, he needed the rock. A place of stability and security, something strong enough to stand against crushing waves and quakering earth. He needed a rock higher than I, higher than ourselves, a place above himself, above his wisdom, above his abilities. And he needed God to lead him to that rock. David was unable to get to the firm-footed place above his crisis on his own. We all need that. We are all going to go to trials and tribulations. They are all going to be looking at things and saying, Hi, what am I going to do with this? You know, how am I going to handle this? We have a God <laughs> that created the whole earth. We have a God that put all the stars up in heaven and he named them. And we have a God that made the sun and the moon, all the fruit trees that are probably in your yard, all the thickles and thorns. <laughs> he made all that. And yet we look at God saying, where are you? How come I have to go through this? You know, the song that says, you know, that our hearts have to be refined. It's pure gold. In order to refine gold and make it pure, they have to scoop the dross that comes up. And the more they do that, pretty soon that person that's doing that can see themselves in there. And that's what God wants to do with our lives. He wants to be able to start taking the stuff out out of our lives that we don't need. The things that are keeping his reflection of himself, of his love, of his mercy, of his grace. That if you continue to allow him to do that in your life, you're going to find yourself looking in the mirror and seeing his image, not yours. And that's supposed to be done daily. Not when you're going through troubles. Even when you're going through a good time. <laughs> if you read chapter of John 15, it says the father is the vine dresser. You know what I mean? Things are going great. And God says, hmm. Yeah, they're going really good, but you're losing focus on who I am to you. So, guess what? I'm going to clip this one off. And you say, ah, <laughs> why'd you do that? 
You know? And God says, well, I want to get your attention. The focus is not on us. It's on him. It's on Christ. And when we lose that focus, it draws us farther away from him instead of closer. And this is what David is realizing. He says, he needed God to lead him there. He's the only one that can do that. Nothing else can. Not our wisdom, not our abilities, not our strength, none of that. Only Jesus. Overwhelmed. The same word is translated faint in Jonah 2.7. Here David had, had the added trial of depression and exhaustion. And the same word is found in the title of Psalms 102, where the conditions are subsequently described the same length to, at same length. We are not told why David was overwhelmed. It is better that we do not know. If we knew his specific circumstances, we would be strongly tempted to limit God's rescue only to those in that same situation. Aren't you glad you don't know? (laughs) Yeah. Because if you're going through something different than David was, you're going to look at it and say, well, God's not going to answer me. He just answers this kind of prayer. Or this take care of this type of situation. And that's not what God is. God is taking care of everything that you're doing through. Right or wrong, good or bad, he's there. And the thing is that we as Christians need to realize that right now is a time not to falter. It's a time not to be sitting there looking and saying, why am I going through this? But knowing, knowing that we have a God that's going to take us and lead us to where we need to go. And it's not for us to question him and say, when are you going to do this? It's for us to wait upon him and say, Lord, here I am. I'm just waiting, but I'm looking forward to the day that you say, hey, it's time to go home. That's what be, should be the excitement in a Christian. He said, knowing God has a purpose for every single one of us. You are living in a time, in a generation, when he can come back. And yet, we walk around this earth wondering and concerned about other things besides the business that God has for each one. But here you have a king... God says, he's a man after my own heart. And he says the same thing about every single one of you. He's a man, a woman. They're after my own heart. They want more of me and less of them. You know, John the Baptist says, I must decrease, so he must increase. And we sort of have it opposite today. (laughs) I want to increase and God can decrease. That's why he's no longer in schools. That's why he's no longer in courtrooms. That's why the Ten Commandments have been taken out and prayer was taken out in 1962. I was in elementary school when that happened. 
and they ask today, why are the children not responding? <laughs> because there's no prayer. There's no crying out to God. They rather quiet him down instead of lifting him up. So, you know, our schools can get better. I believe you put prayer back in, you'll see a big change. (laughs) So let's pray about that. God will put prayer back in. So our kids can understand that they have a God that loves them. One that really cares about them. And one that wants them to be with him. It says, to the rock. The thought of God being a rock is prominent in the Davidic Psalms because David had used the rocks of Judean wilderness as places of refuge and protection. His imagination sees towering above him a great cliff on which he could be planted. He may edify pursuit and he might defy pursuit and assault, but he is distanced from it and increasingly which, inaccessibly which he be in a cl- in the class would be his safety and is now despair. <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. See, therefore, he turns to God and asks him to bear him up in his hands that he may set his foot on that rock. And that's what we got to do. Not only help us lead us there, but put us in a place where there's safety in his hands, not ours. Out of his hands, we're unuseful. In his hands, we can become very useful. To the rock that is higher than I, assuming David wrote this as king, humanly seeking, he had reached the top of the ladder. He realized it wasn't enough and needed something higher than himself. Higher than I, that's the, his prayer was for elevation above self and God. It comes from Morgan. Ultimately, Jesus Christ is a solid, is the rock that is higher than I. Higher than I because his divine origin. Higher because of his perfect obedience. Because of his supreme suffering. Higher because of his ascension to the right hand of power. That's our God. He's higher than me and you. And and that's the one that we need to go to. This is the one that we need to actually look at. It says, the present trust based on the past faithfulness. Faithfulness is that for you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. 
For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. David remembered that God had answered such prayers in, in the past. In the past, God himself had been a shelter, a strong tower for David. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. The word tabernacle is simply the word for tent. And, God, and David had one or two or perhaps both ideas in mind. The tent of God was as a refuge for the weary traveler, the place where protection and hospitality was given to the honored guests. The tent of God as the tabernacle of meeting, the center of Israel's sacrifice and worship. The imagery of dwelling in a tent comes back to the desert experience in Exodus 33, 7-11 in Numbers 11, 16-17. When the Lord resided among the tribes of Israel in a tent. He didn't have a house. (laughs) He didn't have a palace. He lived in a tent. This is our tent. And he wants to dwell there. Think about that. He wants to live in you and in me until he takes us home. And then we can see him face to face. God living in you, walking around the earth, everywhere you go, everything you see, everything you're doing, he knows. (laughs) Why? Because he wants to live in you and in me. So I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Again, there may be one or two ideas or cautious reference to both ideas. Wings as a near and protection place that a mother bird gives to her offsprings, protecting her sheep chicks under the shelter of her wings. Wings as that which marked and surrounded the interior of God's tabernacle of meetings and the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant which included the design of the cherubim and their wings. Two examples. A shelter and a strong tower, your tabernacle, the shelter of your wings. With this image, image after image, David built upon the idea of the rock that is higher than I, first stated in Psalm 61, 2. No one image could fully express the greatness of God's help to David. Do you look at God that way? Do you realize exactly how much he's done for you and still doing? The answer to the prayer in Psalm 61, 5-7, says, God care for David... For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever, or perhaps mercy and truth, which may preserve him. For you, O God, have heard my vows. David probably referred to past vows of grateful allegiance to God, which he continued to honor. God heard these vows and responded to them, giving David rule over his 
over God's people, the heritage of those who fear his name. You, O God, have heard my vows. Often have I purposed to be walletly thy, to serve thee alone, to give up my whole life to thy service. And thou hast heard me and taken me at my word and given me that heritage, the privilege of enjoying thee in thy ordinance, which is the lot of them that fear thy name. Those words should pierce our hearts. And it should draw to conclusion in our own minds and hearts, am I that way with you, Lord? Can I pray, can I pray this prayer? Just like David. Long life, literally days. The immune of, of prosperity of the risen monarch as well as the preparation for his dynasty. Similar to the British saying, God save the queen. Years and years, as many generations. As he speaks, partly because his kingdom was not from Saul, a matter of one age and expiring with his life, but established to him and his heirs forever. And partly because Christ, his son and heir, should actually, and in his own person, possess the kingdom Forever. He shall abide before God forever. David could only say this in reference to himself in a very limited way. He could say it without limitations of the Messiah that was promised to come from his lineage in Second Samuel seven eleven to sixteen. He shall abide before God forever. Literally, he, he shall sit for, forever before the faces of God. He shall ever appear in the presence of God for us. And that's Clark. The psalm is so messianic that the everlasting kingdom of Christ alone fulfills its prayer. The promises of God have found their focus in the messianic. Messiahship of Jesus Christ, who rules, is established by the promise and reward of the Father, Ephesians 4, 7-13. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. David himself needed this mercy and truth, but he also knew that his greater son, the promised Messiah, will also rely upon God's mercy and truth. Let these two, thy mercy and thy truth, be the supporters of his throne. Let them be his lifeguard. Let them be his due and prepared portion from trap. As men cry, long live the king, so let us hail with acclamation our throne Emmanuel and cry, let mercy and truth preserve him. 
eternal love and immunal faithfulness are the bodyguards of Jesus' throne. Now, who would have known that there were bodyguards for Jesus? <laughs> Praising God forever. So I will sing praises to your name forever, that I may daily perform my vow. So I will sing praises to your name forever. David began the psalm desperately crying out to God with a heart that was fainting and overwhelmed. The song ends with praise, honoring the character of God as expressed in his name, doing so forever, that I may daily perform my vows. David knew he had an unending obligation to thank and honor God. It could and should be done daily and forever. You know what we practice here? <laughs> We're going to be doing up there. So it's best to practice it now. You know? You sit there and say, well, I don't, I don't know how to sing. And God doesn't care about your voice. What he cares about is your heart. Are you willing to cry out to God? Are you willing to sing to him in such a way that will not only honor his name, but show him the love that you desire to have for him. And it's supposed to be done daily here, while we're here. Why? Because that's what we're going to be doing there. Casting our crowns before him. We're not going to be asking Jesus questions. <laughs> How can you go before a God that loves you with a question? When you first see him, and I'm sure Chuck Smith and Ray Bentley and others have gone before us, weren't sitting there asking Jesus questions. I'm sure they were up there doing exactly what David is saying to do here. They were honoring and praising God. And they're going to be doing that forever. And so are we. And that should put an excitement in your heart. You say, you know, I have a God that loves me. He loves me so much. He doesn't care how I sound. He cares about my heart. As to how I don't understand him, but yet I want to love him. I don't know everything about him, but I sure want to find out. And that's the attitude of our heart is how it should be with God. And I'm sure Jesus is looking up from heaven and saying, all right. They want to honor me. They want to praise me. And that pleases him. God daily performed his promises. Let us perform our vows. He keeps his covenant. Let us not forget ours. Forever daily, hear the word ever, carries the mind intimately forward, while day after day directs its first 
to what lies immediately ahead. We are one day going to be taken home. We don't know when, but we know we are. And that should bring an excitement to our hearts, but which should excite us even more is who we are going home to. Whom? Who is that God that you serve? What is his name in your life? What does he really mean to you personally? How close are you walking with God? Because if you're not walking as close as you are, then you need to be like Enoch. Remember Enoch? He got taken up. He lived 365 years. And God showed him that the flood was coming when his son, Methuselah, was born. (laughs) He had Methuselah at the age of 65. The last 300 years of Enoch's life, he realized, I need a closer walk with my Lord. And that is the reason I believe that God gave me this for one particular reason. That's just to show me because of what's happening, it's very easy to be distracted. But God is saying, you need a closer walk with me. You need to allow me to be able to live in your life and do the things that I need to do. And you need to get rid of the things that are hindering your walk. But I cannot do that unless you allow me. I cannot change your heart. I cannot force you to love me. And I cannot force you to honor and praise me. I need you to make that choice on your own. And I've given you the freedom to do so. So this morning, you think about where your walk is. Think about exactly how you react to what he's saying. And then ask yourself, Lord, how close am I to you? And if I'm not that close, Lord, draw me there. Lead me to the rock. And that's what this world needs today. And we are God's children, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. And if they don't see it in me, they don't see it in you, they'll never see it. It isn't what we say, it isn't what we're doing. It is how God lives in us and through us. That's going to make the biggest difference on anybody coming to Christ. You can tell them 10,000 verses, and they'll never hear one. But when they see you going through trials and tribulations, when they see you having that joy in your heart, and you know very well that you're holding on to the hand of God, and then they realize, hey, there's something different about you. I want what you have. You know, I saw a commercial on the TV where the lady is screaming and yelling, and there's an older lady sitting on the other side, And she's screaming and yelling because she's playing bingo on her phone. And the older lady looks at the waiter and he says, I want what she has. 
Not that we're playing bingo. But the world should be able to say, I want what they have. And that is the message this morning. A dying world, starving, looking for attention, wanting to be loved. And yet we as a church need to realize how close is our walk with God. And is it making a difference in this world? Can anybody see you walking down the street and say, hey, I see Jesus? <laughs> That's what is supposed to happen. He loves you. He wants to use you. But he's not going to force you. You have to do that. You have to go to him and say, lead me to the rock. If you've never accepted Christ, you should. And if you have, stick with him. Don't look to the right or the left for yourself. Hold on to him. With that, my prayer for you and me is that we have a closer walk with Jesus. And when we come into this house, we should come with the anticipation that he's going to speak. doesn't matter who's up here. It is him that you need to hear, not me. And I pray that you heard him this morning. Because that was a challenge when I read this. I said, oh, oh Lord, how close is my walk with you? you know? Am I going to be left behind? You know? That was the question that's come up. So if we sing this last song, sing it with your heart. Sing it to the God that loves you. And let him know through this song, you know, Lord, I want a closer walk with you. My prayer this morning for you is that he draws you near. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you now, Lord. We just thank you for this message. I pray, Lord, that we would have a closer walk with you, that our time here on this earth would not be wasted. There are efforts, Lord, that, that we allow you to be able to walk us through this. That you would live your life through us. That the world would see your son Jesus in us. That whatever words we share, Lord, it would pierce the hearts of those that don't know you. But I pray for this congregation, Lord, and these people that are your children. Lord, I pray that you mold them and shape them into the vessels you desire to have. And as we sing to you, we sing to the only holy and righteous God that you are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.